Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday, January the 27th in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're nearing the end of our study of Law and Gospel by C.F.W. Walther, a reader's edition. And what's so interesting is there are 39 evening lectures, and we are on number 38. So this week and next week, we should be finishing up. This week is going to be something you will find helpful. Have you sinned against the Holy Spirit, which means you cannot be forgiven? That's what we're going to be talking about. But in the beginning of his 39th lecture, C.F.W. Walther once more has a little introduction. And he talks about how many preachers imagine they've accomplished quite a bit when they have reduced members of the congregation to a point in which they doubt that they are in a state of grace and are saved. Now, why do they think that they've accomplished something? Because they have used the preaching of the law to get people at that point. But we do need to make sure that people despair of their salvation by their own works. And that's why the preaching of the law goes on, to show one cannot be saved by any works that we do. But for a preacher to think that he's accomplished everything, he doesn't understand that that's a preparatory state through which people must pass and then hear the gospel. Remember John the baptizer? That was his ministry, to preach repentance. And he would go through indicating where people were sinning. And then when they were baptized, they repented of those sins. And then John introduced Jesus, who is going to do more than baptize with water, but baptize with water and the Spirit. The point of every preacher's sermon and Bible study is to make fully certain that people are in a state of grace and salvation so they can indeed be pardoned as sinners. However, preaching the gospel means nothing less than telling people that they have been reconciled to God the Father through Christ. Living genuine faith of the heart is the divine assurance that they have the forgiveness of sins and the gates of heaven are open to them. Now, how does the church do that? We do that through what's referred to as the means of grace. When Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, there were many benefits. Somehow, they need to be transferred to us, and that is done by the means of grace. The, the first means of grace, of course, is nothing less than the Word of God. And that's why when Jesus preached with authority, it wasn't because he kept on quoting other rabbis, like most of the preaching of that day went on. 
but he spoke new things like in regard to murder that didn't occur just because of an action, but also because of a thought or a sinful word. So the word of God itself is all that is necessary. But to give us assurance, there are means of grace, including baptizing a person. When a person is baptized, it means now the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is their Savior. And they are already saved because they are a child of God. A second means of grace is the Lord's Supper. And that means that you are placing Jesus into their mouth, the body and blood of Christ, and to confirm the claim that you have been redeemed, you receive the body and blood of Christ, the ransom with which he purchased the entire world. And then there's absolution. What's absolution? Once you confess your sins, the pastor, by the authority of Jesus Christ, absolves your sins. Your sins are forgiven. So the goal of preaching is to encourage the congregation to rejoice in the certainty of their salvation. You can't find anywhere in the Bible where when the apostles are talking to members of the congregation, that they give the impression that they should be uncertain regarding the members standing with God. Now, there are those who are afraid that they will not be saved if they die that night. But the pastor, who needs to be gospel-oriented, takes this complaint as evidence that they have turned their listeners into good Christians. Because a complaint, I'm not sure I'm going to be saved, is really a way in which the law gets the listener to profess, boy, apart from my Redeemer who lives, I don't have any chance of salvation. So why do so many people in Walther's day and in our day live in uncertainty about being true Christians? Here's what Walther says. The reason is that pastors, as a rule, mingle law and gospel and do not listen to the Bible. For when the gospel is preached mingled with law, it is impossible for a listener to have faith in the forgiveness of his sins. On the other hand, when the law is preached mingled with gospel, it is impossible for a listener to arrive at the knowledge that he truly is a poor sinner in need of the forgiveness of sins. This now moves into Walther's understanding of Thesis 24, how pastors sometimes do not rightly distinguish between law and gospel. I'll read it. You are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God if you claim the unforgivable sin against the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven 
because of its magnitude. Now, how many times have you thought that you have done the sin against the Holy Spirit? Walter's going to make the point as to what that sin truly is. And therefore, this is to the seminary students in his lecture on Friday night, and this is getting near the end of his lectures. This is October the 23rd, 1885, the 38th evening lecture. He begins by showing that the way people describe this unpardonable sin is a horrible mingling of law and gospel. Only the law condemns sin, and without exception, the gospel alone absolves sinners from all sins. So what does Walther use to explain the sin against the Holy Spirit? Well, obviously, from the Reformation, Scripture interprets Scripture. He uses the Bible. And there are three passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's a passage in the book of Hebrews and also the first epistle of St. John. So Walter begins with Matthew chapter 12, verses 30 to 32. Jesus is speaking. Whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, when I was growing up, I thought, isn't every sin a sin against the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit calls us to follow the will of God, and every time we sin, we are saying, no, I'm not going to follow the will of God. I'm going to follow my own will. So I thought, boy, you're always sinning against the Holy Spirit. But if that were true, this passage says it's unforgivable. It's not unforgivable that when you sin against Jesus, but it's unforgivable when you speak against the Holy Spirit. So Walter now explains this. Blasphemy against the Father and the Son is exactly the same sin. But the blasphemy that Matthew 12 is talking about is directed not against the person of the Holy Spirit, but the office or operation of the Holy Spirit. The office of the Holy Spirit is what? To call people to Christ and to keep them with him. What this text, Matthew 12, is saying is that the person committing this sin speaks 
against the Holy Spirit. This is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit that is not forgiven because it must be spoken by the mouth. Well, when did that occur? That occurred when, for example, Jesus would heal someone from a demon. And the Pharisees accused Jesus not of the work of the Holy Spirit, but that he was doing the work of the devil himself, which is really quite ridiculous, that the devil would be the one giving Jesus the power to exorcise someone from a demon. That doesn't make any sense. But when you orally say that Jesus is not working with the Holy Spirit, that's blasphemy against the office and work of the Holy Spirit. The next passage is Mark 3, 28 to 30. Jesus again, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, is guilty of an eternal sin. For they are saying, Jesus has an unclean spirit. That's blasphemy against the office of the Holy Spirit. When you say that the works of Christ are a work of the devil, that is saying that the work of the Holy Spirit is a work of the devil. And that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Whoever rejects the work of the Holy Spirit is beyond help, even by God. God wants the order maintained that he has ordained for our salvation. He brings no one into heaven, either by force or because of their wonderful works. Now, in one particular passage, Jesus himself heals a man and drives out the devil. The man had a withered hand also. But what did the unbelievers standing around say? Ah, Beelzebub is inside this Jesus. This is why he is able to cast out lesser devils. Walter makes a point that's completely illogical to imagine that the devil would help Christ in that work. And that could be a sin against the Holy Spirit. The third passage is Luke 12, verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Once more, Luke 12 is making the point that the main thing about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is that it is spoken. People do it knowingly and deliberately. So any sin can be forgiven. But when you get to that point of a sin where you are denying that Jesus 
is not only the Christ, but that he's working through the devil. That is a sin of the Holy Spirit. The writer to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 and following, It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and then have fallen away to be restored again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. This is an important passage, according to Walther, because the sin against the Holy Spirit has a characteristic that the person who has committed it cannot be restored to repentance. In fact, the curse has settled on him or her, and there is no further possibility for that person to be saved. Why? Because he is no longer able to repent. That's where the sin of the Holy Spirit takes place. Then the last passage, this is the fifth one that Walther uses, is 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. And those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. This is an important understanding. I, I think this next statement Walther makes is one of the most important in this lecture. Before a person dies, we can say of no one whether he has committed the sin against the Holy Spirit. Now, they may be terrible sinners, but who could be more terrible than the people who crucified Jesus, the Romans? And what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they were doing. Therefore, if a person has committed the sin against the Holy Spirit, we cannot ask God to forgive them. And as shocking as this statement may be, within it lies a greater comfort. Why? Well, Paul Walther gets practical here. A member of the congregation may visit the pastor and say, I'm a wretched person. I've committed the sin against the Holy Spirit. I am quite certain of it. In fact, that person may even tell you the evil that he has done, the evil he has spoken, the evil he has thought. It may really look as if he has blasphemed the Holy Spirit. But that person is not at all rejoicing over what he tells you. It is so awful and horrid to him. This shows, therefore, 
that God has at least begun to lead this person to repentance. In, in other words, a person who has sinned against the Holy Spirit doesn't care about the future. He's not worried about the future. And when you ask whether he wishes he had not done those evil things, and he answer, of course I wish I hadn't done these evil things, these are worrying me to death, then that makes the point that he has not sinned against the Holy Spirit because repentance is beginning to grow in him. And we need to show that person that he has clear proof that he has not committed the sin against the Holy Spirit. The pastor is to convince the congregation members that they have not committed this sin rather than warning them not to commit it because a person who has really committed this sin, preaching is of no benefit. So we can't warn someone not to do the sin. That's a great point Walter makes. The fact is, Luther agrees with Walter. People who are defiant in their stubbornness and unbelief, like Judas and King Saul, died in those sins because they would not trust the Lord. The sin is not unpardonable because it's such a terrible sin. No, it's unpardonable because of a lack of faith. The person committing this sin rejects the only means by which he can be brought to repentance, faith and steadfastness in faith. Therefore, there is one kind of sin that is mortal sin, which can be forgiven. If it's not repented of, the person could die eternally. But this sin of the Holy Spirit is a sin unto death. The sin of Paul, where he says, formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, shows that those sins were not sins against the Holy Spirit. In the same way, the sin of the men who crucified Christ was not a sin where they would get eternal hell because they had done it in ignorance. Where there is no knowledge of sin, there's no forgiveness. But these persons who have committed the sin against the Holy Spirit, which only God recognizes, they're not frightened by any scruples of conscience, nor do they recognize or feel their sin. They are distressed, though, because when they think they have committed the sin against the Holy Spirit, that worries them. And that's where the pastor says, if you're distressed over that, then you have not committed the sin of the Holy against the Holy Spirit. Very important. 
So the sin against the Holy Spirit is to blaspheme his office, not his person, saying that the work of the Holy Spirit is a work of the devil. And this is a sin unto death and does not get confused with mortal sin. It is quite probable that Judas was a believer when Jesus called him as a disciple, but he fell from the faith, committed suicide like did King Saul, and therefore was doing the sin against the Holy Spirit. So when a person is worried that they have done this sin against the Holy Spirit, one can assure them that they have not done the sin against the Holy Spirit or else they wouldn't be worried about it. The Pharisees were not worried that they were sinning against the Holy Spirit because they didn't feel that that was a sin at all. A person who has committed the sin against the Holy Spirit is condemned, but not because of the severity of that sin, but because of unbelief. So, the sin against the Holy Spirit, we can't ever tell whether someone has done it because the distinction between mortal sins and deathly sin is not that great that we can be aware of it. So next week, we'll be taking a look at his 39th evening lecture, the last lecture on law and gospel that he gave. And tomorrow, we're going to be talking again. It's going to be a Thursday, and we're going to give some information that you need to be aware of about COVID-19. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.